Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. The Premier League returned from the international break and delivered us a double sacking to talk about on today's Second Captain's Football Podcast. But according to one of our listeners, there could be another manager on his way come the end of the season and it's not any of the ones that you might be thinking. Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Pod. Hey, Ken. Hello, how are you? I know there's a few names probably going around your head there, a few managers who could be on. Actually, there are very few left to sack, really, this season. They've 13 all, managers sacked. So many gone. And yet Roy Hodgson just rides on. <laughs> rides well, back he's in. Back. Gets Rodgers the sack. Yeah. And is, you know, who knows? Give it to give it to Rodgers till end of next season. I'd say, or give it to... Rodgers. Uh, Hodgers. To Hodgers, I should say, till end of next season. So Rodgers is gone at Leicester. Graham Potter sacked by Chelsea. We'll talk about that with Jonathan Wilson and John Bruin who was at what turned out to be Potter's final game in charge. A pretty miserable defeat at home to Aston Villa. But I begin today with this explosive email from Kieran Rigney, who claims to be a Manchester United fan. I'm not so sure. I think this guy might be a fan of a rival club masquerading as a United supporter. Why in order would anybody to do that? Sow some seeds of discontent, Ken. Okay. To start a certain movement. A false flag email. Could be. Kieran emails. Just wanted to pose a question. Have United actually improved under Ten Hag? I'm a fan, a United fan that is, really, Kieran. And while all my friends and social media were wrapped up in the post-World Cup run of form, I couldn't help but feel performances weren't that good against much lower opposition. Oof. If you look at the league fixture since December, we've played four teams in City, Arsenal, Liverpool and Newcastle who are close to us in the league. Two of those games we were battered off the park. The Arsenal scoreline looks closer than it was. The one win against City was due to a weird VAR being VAR thing. We've had a very easy run in the Cup. Uh, runs in the Cups and while there is some credit due for beating Barca it must also be said that they were missing two thirds of their starting midfield for the second leg all in all I think Ten Hag has achieved par with this squad and I really can't understand the plaudits he's getting considering he has three more points at this stage than Rangnick had at the same time last year if this run of form continues and United finish fifth with just a League Cup to show for it will he even be there next season? (laughs) Right now I think he should get another year but I wouldn't put the house on him the way some pundits do. Would love to hear what you think. In other words, Kieran, you can say this as politely as you want, but ten hag out is what I'm hearing <laughs> from that email. Ken. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a bit... Uh, I'm not sure if we... I mean, Man United have, have, have failed to score in the last three games, although when this was put to Eric Ten Hag by Laurie Whittle City, I have to laugh at those, a question like that. I thought, well, 
<laughs> really? Because it's true. Like, I mean, it's true. But Ten Hag's point was, well, we scored in other games, you know? We, we scored against Betis. You don't talk about that. We scored against Fulham. You know, although, if we want to talk about the Fulham game, you know, that wasn't great either. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a moment when... Uh, right up until the, the moment when Manchester United were awarded a penalty and Fulham got three red cards simultaneously... Things were going well. <laughs> Things were going well, but that that episode did help there to tilt the balance. It tipped the balance. Kieran has his facts right. After twenty seven matches last season, United were in fourth spot on forty seven points. Today they sit fourth on fifty points. But you know you can't just dismiss the cup runs as though we've had easy games. They've still won them. Ten Hag has has won a trophy. He ha- does still have a very good chance of going through to the semi finals of the Europa League, and is still deep into the FA Cup. So yeah, yeah. It, it's it's been. It's a bit early to talk about the possibility of him being removed. I would have thought. In this and case. you know, there is the, the the there's a line in there about Barcelona were missing two thirds of their starting midfield for one of the games, so you have to make allowances. Mm-hmm. Well, Casemiro's been suspended for like half the season now, and Eriksen's missed the last however many months, and that's two thirds of Man United's starting midfield. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like Kieran's a Liverpool fan. It's quite clear. <laughs> quite clear. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't great. It wasn't great yesterday, um, but. I still feel as though they have been going places. But, you know, there's a lot to get to today. There is a lot, yeah. I just want to mention that there is a lot to get to during the week as well. The Premier League matches continue tonight with Everton against Spurs. More games right through the week, which we'll be covering on the World Service. Sign up now on secondcaptains.com for €5 a month plus VAT. Well, here's the saddest sentence I have read so far about the end of... Graham Potter's time at Chelsea. I mean, this is like the the Hemingway um, story about the little shoes never worn. You know, um, uh, this is uh, this is by David Ornstein, mm-hmm. uh, writing the Athletic. Potter is believed to have taken the news delivered face to face at the training ground in an incredibly professional manner, and has agreed a severance package unrelated to the five year deal he signed. And he replaced sacked Thomas Tuchel last September. There's just so much sadness, you know, uh, to to take the news in an incredibly professional manner. Uh, you know, like he's just been doing everything in an incredibly professional manner the whole time he's been at Chelsea, and that's really been the problem. <laughs> it's just been why is this guy just doing things and going around doing things in a professional manner? Uh, and it's you know everyone is just sick of this nonsense. You know, where's where's the controversy? Where, mm-hmm. Where's the excitement? You know, controversy doesn't follow this guy everywhere. No, uh, it just he, they just told him, Graham, you're sacked. He just accepted it. He, he's, he said he said, you've you know, it's another good decision by you. You know, you're billionaires. You're smarter than I am. And that's probably why you've reached this decision. To be honest, uh, I, you know, I've, I can do nothing but sit here and applaud your decision to sack me. And he then agreed a severance package unrelated to the five year deal. Now, the only way that I can. What I think that means is that, okay, your contract says we're going to pay you this much over five years. But how about if we paid you this much smaller amount and you simply accepted that in an incredibly professional manner? And he did. Yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that, that's that what seems, I'm reading from that as well. That seems to be it. A much lower amount of money than what he would have been due if he'd fought the hard fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe the the um, the severance package... Uh, the the terms of severance may have been something that was embedded in the in the contract from the start. Although in that case, it's not really something he would have to agree. It's simply something that he agreed to before. Mm-hmm. You know, in the sense of he signed a deal saying, "If we sack you, we pay you one year," or you know, whatever. A lot of time managers don't agree. I mean, we were talking about this just the other week. I think 
um, managers usually it's part of the fact that they can do to you what has been done to Graham Potter. You can't you can't do this to a player. You know what I mean? If you sign a player like Mudrick, Mudrick's got that eight years, right? He's got he's got his eight and a half oh. years. <laughs> you know, he can't they can't get rid of him uh, in in this way. Just decide actually, you know what we we're not feeling it anymore. You've got to go. Uh, and actually, we're going to pay you this much, even though your contract says this much. You can't do that to players, but you can do it to managers. So usually managers have a certain amount of th- this robust terms there. You, you owe me. If you sack yeah. me like that, you, you have to pay me. Uh, pay it's, me. And I, I don't think it's always, to be clear, I don't think it's always the entirety of the rest of the contract. I mean, there's presumably a certain amount of horse trading that goes on and all that. And they end up coming to a number. But it does sound, if that's accurate a pretty rare moment where a manager just takes the first offer which sounds like it might be substantially less than what he could have yeah. got his people to fight for yeah so I mean it's sad and then, and then it, it, so the, sad. the sadness just keeps coming yeah. um, one of the unusual parts of Potter's departure is that most of his backroom staff will stay in place until a successor is hired this is something Potter has supported so <laughs> So his, his, his assistant is that Here, Here's manager. the knife, lads. Just stick it right in there. I'll just turn around. I mean, you know, come on. Like, this is... I mean, okay, something a little bit like this has happened at uh, Tottenham, I suppose. Um, you've got Christian Cellini is, is going to be managing them tonight against Everton. So he's kind of stayed on. Conte leaving Tottenham situation was maybe a little bit a little bit different from this. Some some staff left. I think it was Conte's brother on the staff. I think he, he left. Um, but in this case... Yeah, Potter's staff has remained the whole thing. I feel so sorry for this man. Um, I don't really. I mean, we. I remember talking. We were talking about it um, when when they sacked Thomas Tuchel, um, who obviously had his first game in charge of Bayern on the weekend. I turned it on, rubbing my hands, looking forward to some great excitement. Proceeded to see the worst goalkeeping mistake I've ever oh, seen. Yeah. Well, let's just say it was a very good day for Loris Karius. So it was a great day. Uh, Bayern against Dortmund was a great day for Loris Karius, who wasn't playing, but is no longer the king of all German goal. Yeah, it's hard to finish the sentence with, with the appropriately emphatic word. Clangers? Clowns. The king of all goalkeeping clowns, because that honor now belongs to Gregor Kobel, the goalkeeper of Borussia Dortmund who conceded a goal in a manner that, let's say, was not befitting the occasion. Upamecano mm. uh, has the ball in his own half, Bayern's central defender, tries a long pass forward to one of the one of the attackers. The ball bounces through. Koble comes running out to the D, swings his foot at it, misses it, and it rolls into the <laughs> net directly from from Upamecano's. Not even a shot, just a pass from his own half. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it done before. Uh, almost immediately, it was four nil. <laughs> that was one nil, and then it was four nil about six seconds later. And I and it was well. This isn't great for the. This isn't great for the sport. It's not great for the for the entire country. In fact, this is a bit embarrassing. It ended up being four two. But uh, yeah. every, everyone felt very foolish for having tuned in on a Saturday evening. There was better things to be to have been doing. Uh, but anyway, why? why no, nice we... to see Tuchel back in the big time. All the Tuch, time. Tuchel's back, although he wasn't annoyed with he, he wasn't happy rather with the goals they they conceded because obviously he's got high standards. But um, where were we? Sadness for Potter. The sadness. Um, well, so he's he, he we, we, yeah. So we, we when when they sacked Tuchel, we were kind of like, oh, are you gonna? 
to even take that job, it's a bit chaotic. You know, this is a good way to maybe, I mean, it's like Brendan Rodgers, the other guy who got sacked this weekend, said years and years ago when he was the Swansea manager um, and Chelsea were going through one of their episodes uh, and I can't remember who they'd sacked, probably Villas Boas at that stage, which would have been 2011 when, when Rodgers was the Swansea manager in the Premier League. And he was doing well with Swansea and they were playing nice football and they had Joe Allen and Liam Britton and all these guys playing Barcelona football and Rodgers was the next big thing and they said Brendan the Chelsea job is available uh, and he said uh, I don't know why I said that in the tone of this is one of the people that Trump always says has been talking to him <laughs> they say to me sir the Chelsea job is available and I said uh, I'm trying to build a career, not destroy one, which was Rogers' unbelievably arrogant comment. But at the same time, he had a point. Like, you know, it's a good place to go if you want to just get chewed up and spat out. And, and that that's, was the old Chelsea, Ken. That was the Abramovich Chelsea. This is the new Chelsea with a far-sighted new bunch of owners who reportedly, repeatedly insisted that they were going to stick with this guy for the long haul. I know. It's amazing. And it just, it's just, they'll say the same thing until the moment when they've already decided, actually, we're going to change that. And everyone just goes, all oh, right, okay, that's that's the way it is. So you can never really believe, you, you can never really believe that, especially if you keep losing matches, which unfortunately for Graham Potter, uh, his team yeah. kept doing. Um, but, you know, so, but, but the, the question was, at that time, should should he take this job? Yeah. And the answer was, he kind of has to. You, you sort of, uh, in in hindsight, it, we can now say, no, he should have he stayed where he was and, and waited for a different job to come up. This was like, this was not the right one for him. But at the same time, maybe you don't know if that opportunity is going to come up. I mean, what if Brighton draw or lose their next 10 matches and suddenly they yeah, decide they to get rid of And they had gone through a bad run previously, you know, it wasn't... Oh. It wasn't all plain sailing. At he, Brighton. So he could, he could we have see, been. We see it with Brendan Rodgers, and we'll talk about this later on. I mean, Rodgers was being linked with Chelsea more recently than years ago. Mm. Uh, he was being linked with Man United last year. Now, I don't know how serious all those links were, but it's timing now. He's, he was he was with Leicester for one more Arsenal. season. Arsenal. He had he he, he had the chance sense. to take yeah. over at Arsenal, and now he's not being. Obviously, he can't be picked by any of those picked up by any of those big clubs. Well, I say he had the chance to take over at Arsenal. Arsenal were definitely interested in Brendan Rodgers at the time when he signed a new long-term contract with Leicester. And actually, he ended up winning the FA Cup with Leicester. And so when you look at what he's what he has done at Leicester, it is actually basically good, mm. but also bad because, well, for two reasons. Number one, because of big opportunities, which they missed. Remember missing out in the Champions League qualification, like, wasn't it two years in a row, yeah. kind of with, with just late collapses? And then the, just the way that the whole thing has ended very badly with the team kind of dissolving into entropy, a familiar thing that we that a similar thing happened to him when he was the Liverpool manager. You know, it's kind of like not so. So even though the, the, they had never won the FA Cup before, so to win the FA Cup uh, and they beat, obviously, it was Thomas Tuchel's, uh, none other than Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea in the final that time. Um, that's that, that's a big deal. Um Still, though, it just ends in a bad way, and you're left with a, with a kind of a aftertaste of yeah. Yeah, well, the Leicester fans had had lost patience with Rogers. I mean, there was a sense, and we've talked. I'm waiting for the email from Lucy Barnes, our Leicester fan, who always emails into the World Service. Maybe that's on the way for tomorrow's pod. But one of uh, my re- yeah, so go on. Yeah, there was always a, there, was, there was a sense for a long time. Look, Rogers loves taking the the 
credit you know loves taking the praise and isn't quite so good at the other end of it when things are going badly accepting responsibility that's one of the issues that Leicester fans have had because I did find it quite interesting that from quite early on the season it seemed like Leicester fans were like oh you know get rid of him considering the amount of relative success that I thought he had brought for the last number of years but obviously the people supporting the club on a week to week basis are closer to these things well you know I mean it's like um, it's like uh, Roger said when they lost in the cup to Forrest they're these these players. A lot of these players are not top players because they can't sustain it. So obviously, you know, it's insulting to the players. You know, it's just, the manager's enough often coming. That's why my players are no good. Uh, but also, it's it's the same thing you could say about him. You know, it's it's like uh, it's been a kind of problem that he seems to have had at his clubs. You know, sustaining season after season. I mean, there was a brilliant season at Liverpool, followed by one of the worst seasons they've had. Um, a great achievement for Leicester followed by this sort of subsidence and uh, disintegration. So maybe he needs to look at himself uh, when he says things like that. I mean, as for um, Chelsea, obviously, um, what are they going to do now? Nagelsmann seems to be the obvious one. You do think if the if they're sacking Potter now, I mean, it's not as though their outlook has radically changed. I thought they would at least give him the uh, Champions League games. You mm. know what I mean? Um, but maybe their attitude is maybe we can win the Champions League. <laughs> you know, who knows? Like maybe, maybe we can win. We're we're in the quarterfinals. Only eight teams can win. We're one of the eight, but we're not going to win with this guy. I mean, this is what Bayern did, and then may, maybe Bayern doing that. Obviously, Nagelsmann is now available. I mean, he's he doesn't have a better job than Chelsea anymore. He has no job, mm-hmm. and that's maybe why the sands shifted under the feet of Potter. I mean, that and the fact that they just kept losing yeah. and so on and so forth. But they're they're kind of, I wonder if they've got a problem now, Chelsea, in terms of just rebuilding what, it, like, I think they've actually had quite a um, consistent sort of culture at that club since, since Abramovich arrived, I suppose, and brought in a lot of big players. But they kind of very quickly established under Mourinho that kind of identity as, we're we're a strong team, a lot of good players. It isn't afraid to defend, you know. Um, the there was none of this sort of Arsenal style. Oh, we like to play the game in a certain way. Chelsea's like we just want to win, and um, they have had people who've been there for a long time who've kind of set a tone. I, I just look at Chelsea now. I'm like, who is who is that now? What what where does that come from at this club? Like, I mean, they're sort of a big spending club, but players come in and what are they kind of? fitting into like what's the structure there for players to integrate the, it, the whole thing needs mm. to be done from scratch it's it's just so chaotic at the moment um, that I think it is a, it's a great opportunity for a coach who who had a clear who has some clear ideas but it's very difficult it is uh, such at a, the same time yeah but it's a mad uh, the transfer policy appears to be so disjointed and that was with Potter as manager how much say he had in any of that? Who knows? Anyway, but now the new one coming in hasn't had a say in any of these signings. So you've got the you've got an issue where you need to get rid of a load of players anyway, regardless. Some players who probably are fed up being at the club don't see a way in, and then you've got other players who've been bought to basically replace those players who are still on the books. And as manager, you're not going to fancy all those players either. But sorry, mate, they're on eight year contracts. So yeah. I'm afraid you're going to be stuck with those guys. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it does. Look, this could sound very stupid. It do, it's, it's, it's also the kind of club you can come into and there's so many good players that, like you say, like Tuchel did, you could, could just come in mid-season and win a Champions League. That's not impossible. And maybe that's what a manager needs to eye up. I'll just have 18 months at this job. I'll, win it, I'll, I'll have a crack at this Champions League and then see what happens next season and move on. Maybe, you know, maybe managers are maybe thinking more like that 
these days. I mean, you know, if, if you've got like 13 sackings in one season, then you are getting to that point. I mean, Klopp was talking today about, well, I suppose the elephant in the room is why am I still here? You know, he's he's been, he's like the longest serving manager. I think Graham Ruthven had a, had a statistic about Deserby is now the 11th longest serving manager <laughs> in the league. Yeah, having yeah. been appointed like five He's almost ago. in the top half, yeah. Yeah. Um, so where are we? Um, yeah, you mentioned Man United. Sorry, I suppose that was the main game yesterday. So, um, yeah, I mean that was that was an interesting game. I mean, it was like for I, I thought it was like a bit like the opposite of the the seven nil Liverpool game, where kind of everything was flying in, mm. where Newcastle just had so many chances that it looked like certain goals, and especially in the first half, that were just fizzing wide or hitting the bar or going over. You know, there's one from Willock was brilliant where. Uh, the ball is is laid across by um, maybe some maximum. I'm not sure. Maybe he's like, and uh, kind of pulled behind the defenders a little bit. And Willock's coming onto it, and it's just an absolute. Oh yeah, no, there's no doubt this is this is going to be a goal. And he smashed it over the bar. And the two Newcastle players, you can see, I think it's San Maximum and Isaac just to the left, but oh, throw <laughs> themselves to the ground like holding their heads. Um, and and it got to the point where you're sure this is, Man United are going to win this game one nil. It's going to be one. They're going to sting them. Mm. And they're going to regret missing all these chances, uh, but no, Newcastle actually just battered them into submission. I mean, it was it was one of the most emphatic two nils. It really was, you know. I think it was three point five seven xG or something like this to point four three. Um, just a huge. I mean, obviously Newcastle were, were kind of fired up. I think from losing that cup final, um, and really determined to. You know, how was saying, well, we were annoyed about their ball in play comments. You know, which Ten Hag was was getting annoyed with Pope time wasting. You know, I mean, this this is the way it is when you play Newcastle now. But I mean, th- so the emailer was talking about. I mean, United do have a couple of issues at the moment. I mean, they're they're in a position now where they have come under a little bit of pressure. You know, from kind of we're in the title race to oof, you know Tottenham could go above them today, and they've yeah. got, they've got games in hand on Tottenham. But if Tottenham beat Everton today then Man United are not in the top four anymore they've just got games in hand so yeah and and when you look at what's happening at their we mentioned obviously the Casemiro and Ericsson they've had these types of problems but they do have some players who need to do a lot more and the, mm. the big one that you look at at the moment is Anthony mm. right Anthony scored in his first three Premier League games he has not scored since mm. I don't think he has an assist in the Premier League um He's really, you know, I think the scoring in the first three was was such a brilliant start that like his lack of really his lack of contribution since then has maybe not been as as remarked upon as it could have been. Yeah, that's in fifteen games, so he's he's still got three goals in fifteen Premier League matches, and almost all of those are starts as well. And you're right, no assists. Yeah, statistically not amazing and I remember even early on funny enough I remember one or two of the pundits that I'd be talking to Premier Sports weren't blown away by him even when he still had three and four three and five mm. they, they weren't kind of sure is this guy offering that much so the fact that he's not actually offering the goals uh, you know you, you can shut a lot of people up by scoring say from his position a goal every two games or something but if you're not doing that then people might start asking the questions yeah well so so I mean if you're looking at it uh, what has he got in the in the Premier League um, so far he has got uh, 12 90s let's say 12, 12 matches worth of game time three goal contributions I remember the player who we talked about when Manchester United signed him as being uh, mm, 
you know, I mean, the, the reasons why we compare these players are obvious. I mean, they're both left-footed, talented left-footed players who went from Ajax to a big Premier League club. Arjen Robben. No, no, not oh, Arjen Robben. Ajax. Ziyech. Ah, yes. Ziyech, uh, the current um, Chelsea player, I mean, still Chelsea, tried to join Paris, but wasn't there. Chelsea didn't send the right email or something. It was, it was some kind of a mess up there. So he's, at, he's still at Chelsea. But his... Um, you know, at the time it was like, well, he's a little bit like like Ziyech in that they've got some similar characteristics. Uh, they're both on the sort of smaller side. They've both been, they both have very similar numbers. If you look at their their sort of output for Ajax, obviously a really dominant team in in the Eredivisie, and Ziyech cost a lot less and didn't really, you know, he he never quite established himself in Chelsea's team and that's and, and he's one of the players I'm sure they're going to be getting, getting rid of now I mean at this point I mean after his uh, first 13 games he had five goal of almost you know two goals three assists Anthony has three goals no assists in about the same playing time you're looking at a similar impact yeah. but Anthony costs two and a half times as much that's his problem you know for for a 40 million player it'd be like well you know his finishing is great everything else needs to be worked on for a hundred million it's kind of like, well, hang on a second. What what is, what is this guy doing? You know, besides like cutting aside and, sh- and shooting, um, which he's not even scoring from anymore is wh- the problem. Wh- what's he going to do? Like, and, and, and uh, you know, as a as a winger, he's not like super quick. You know, he, he's a bit like Sancho in that respect. You know, another kind of uh, slow winger who who is out of the firing line because he's sitting on the bench. You know, people have forgotten about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a lot of money they've got tied up in these underperforming players, um, that's something, you know, you compare um, the the previous 100 million flop in the Premier League was obviously Grealish, but Grealish now is doing really well. But the thing about, the difference between Grealish and Anthony is that Grealish is so physically solid. You know what I mean? Like, look, I mean, okay, he, you could say maybe he goes down easy at times, but like, he's, he's, there's no question that Grealish is able to kind of play in the Premier League in terms of he's not just going to get pushed around by people. With Anthony, that question is still there. Well, he does like to put out the aura of a guy who doesn't get pushed around. Anthony and, or Grealish? No, Anthony. I've seen him in a couple of... Stra- the, the Casemiro red card, the previous one for, uh, in inverted commas, choking the... Ridiculous image. That was all sparked by... Uh, or certainly within, about a minute before that uh, Anthony had got involved in a sort of sideline scrape with somebody and then you know mm. it, it was surmised that this all came from that so I've seen him in one or two of those but like that's that's one thing I don't know if that's necessarily standing up to people and rowing people I don't know if that's the same thing as actually physically uh, when you're on the ball being able for it yeah well, but Ten Hag knew him like, so Ten Hag must have yeah. think he is able for it well that's, that's, that's why it's a it's a it's a difficult one for Ten Hag. I mean, they really went that. They really pushed the boat out to to get this guy, and he hasn't justified it yet. Um, another Ten Hag sign is obviously Veghorst, who's just really. Oh, you just feel like the, the post match TV stuff was just so grim when they were talking about him because it, it's just obviously he's not good enough. Yeah, mm. it's, it's not even a. It's they. It was basically sympathy they were showing towards him. The worst possible type yeah. of analysis of any player. They almost. What's the point in analyzing this guy? We know he's no good. Well, did you see? Did you see what he was asked in international duty? You know, uh, Holland played Gibraltar, beat them. I think th- was it three 0 or four 0 um, I should know that as they're in our group. They beat Gibraltar. We'll see it down the line. Vague horse did not score. He was asked afterwards. I saw a clip of him being asked about uh, this was in Dutch. Where we'd played for. He says, uh, 
Yeah, but uh, do you think he could have played another 48 hours out there and not scored? I just thought, well, that's... Like... So Vagor just sort of looks at him and kind of... He just sort of accepts it stoically. Like, he didn't get annoyed or anything. He was just like... He was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting question. But uh, I guess we the game only lasted 90 minutes and, and we ran out of time. Uh, so it was like, okay. But, like, he did seem a bit... Yeah. A bit beaten down. Um, four passes I think he had in the game. Obviously, they need to get someone. But but the other the other story that was coming out about them in the last few days is just how much their debt has increased in the, in the last little while. You know, they've all, all these players that they bought recently have been on, um, you know, a, cre- a line of credit. That it's kind of like they, they have to be sort of paid for. They're they're like a, more than a billion in debt. Now this all feeds into why are, why are they selling the club? You know, that's that's all part of the picture. Um, but any more players who are who are there buying are also kind of going on the credit card. Yeah. Um, like, who's it going to be? They seem keen on Harry Kane, obviously a considerable upgrade on Vaghorst. The player I think would be really interesting to see going there is uh, the Napoli player, Victor Osiman. Oh, yeah. But how can they afford him? You know, he's he would be more expensive than Harry Kane, I imagine. He looks really brilliant. But to spend that kind of money is not maybe something they're not in the position to do. Evan Ferguson, they've supposedly looked at as well. Uh, he is a Man United fan. Um, He's been linked with a few of those. I think clubs. he would be crazy to... Uh, you got to... We're talking about whether managers should leave. Yeah, maybe play, play for Brighton first. Play season, for too. Brighton. <laughs> play for Brighton. Under a really good manager. A, a system never seen before, according to Stephen Kenny. He's a yeah. manager. Well, I mean, I mean that, that manager may not be there. There seems to be a lot of clubs looking for managers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if the Zerbi's necessarily going to be there for a really long well, time maybe, po- maybe Potter will go back. <laughs> maybe. Brighton coach. Um, but okay, so where are we? The, the other thing was that was Newcastle obviously were really good. And I thought what you see there is the kind of... This this Saudi takeover, I know there's this argument, oh, they haven't spent that much, although when you look at it, they actually have spent quite a lot already. <clears throat> you know, the, there will be there will be more. But what you have is a kind of uh, an effect of, like, say, the, the way that uh, Eddie, Howe's, Eddie Howe's approaching the game was, like, lots and lots of running, right? Mm. Huge, huge amounts of running. They, they're totally overwhelming. You know, you know, I could not live with it. But there was play, players running from midfield into the box over and over and over again. So that's a team that has a really good attitude is willing to work really hard. Okay, hasn't played as many games as, as United either maybe helps at this point in the season. But I think that's also something that they get from the from the overall position of the club in terms of these guys are all playing to become very rich. You know what I mean? They, I mean, footballers, Premier League footballers are generally quite wealthy, but to be a Newcastle player over the next few years gives you the chance of really being part of a big team and making a, a hell of a lot of money. There's a kind of a competition for places in that squad with players who aren't there yet. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, it's it's a kind of, people are fighting to be part of this this thing, which I mean, we've talked about it before. I think it's a bad thing for the sport. I, I don't even think it's a good thing for the club. But from the point of view of a player, you know, it's not bad to be signing deals with Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so you've got the likes of Callum Wilson coming off the bench, who, in fairness, was a, a pretty good player for Newcastle, even through fairly bad times. Mm. Uh, coming off the bench and scoring a goal, this kind of stuff. These are the, these are the kind of players who are in that bracket. Well, pretty much anyone, I suppose, at the club. Everyone. Would, would fancy themselves. Everyone is in the bracket. I mean, who who there can be confident that they're going to be still in the team in two years? I mean, if they don't decide to leave for whatever reason. I think Bruno Gimaraes, I think maybe 
Joe Linton, the way he's played this season. Maybe he's like, well, Joe Linton seems to me like one of those players who's like, they, they all seem a lot more turned on by the prospect of being, of playing for Newcastle in two years' time now than they were when Mike Ashley was the manager, or the, the owner. Rather. What does you know it mean? be more turned on by playing for this manager, in fairness? Steve Bruce's football didn't seem to inspire much joy. And I wonder though if Steve Bruce it. had been dangling, you know, Saudi billions in front of them, might might that have changed the setup somewhat for Steve Bruce? We'll never know. Mm. I guess we'll never know. But I was struck by the contrast between them, particularly, and what we saw from Liverpool on Saturday. And there you've got like the complete opposite situation. You've got at Liverpool players who have been who are who who are so comfortable who have become kind of so respected, you know? <laughs> They've become such, oh, such, like, oh, at some point, all of them have surely been hailed as the best in the world, right? <laughs> if you go through the, the team, Van Dijk, obviously, you know, best in the world. Alisson, best in the world. Trent. Uh, Trent, best in the world. Robertson, best left back in the world. Henderson, best captain in the world. You know, Fabinho, is he the best defensive midfielder in the world? I'm sure someone said it at some point. Salah, for sure. Yeah, Salah, for sure, you know. So... And I'm not even disputing that at, at 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 some point each of them has actually warranted that kind of praise. You know what I mean? They they have had exceptional form and exceptional achievements, but they've been the same kind of the same gang for mm. quite a long time now, <laughs> and it's just they just can't. <laughs> There's just nothing left. You know what I mean? There's no. There's no, there, I mean, there was a moment when. Um, Actually, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, decided to do... You, you might remember a famous clip of Andy Robertson doing something a bit like this in a game also against Manchester City uh, in from 2018 when Liverpool were in their on-the-way-up phase. Mm. Uh, running, uh, pressing repeated Man City players, mm, uh, running all the way across the pitch. It, it seemed as though Alexander-Arnold was trying to kind of do... Uh, well, you know, a, a, a almost comedic uh, reinterpretation or, or uh, what's the word, reenactment of this famous moment by pursuing a series of Man City players, but just in a more slow and sort of unconvincing way and with nobody following him until he turned around and then starts screaming at his teammates, why is nobody backing me up? And the way that he did it or the, the moment reminded me of seeing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain do that, do that exact thing. Uh, not not the exact thing, but the same press, 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 then turn around, see there's no one there and start screaming at the against Bayern when he was playing for Arsenal. I don't know if you... It was just the moment that's so, that, that stuck in my memory from that game. It was one of those awful Bayern or, or combine harvesting Arsenal um, 5-1 or whatever it was. And Chamberlain did this like running, you know, and then turn around, no, oh, no, it's the, you know. And obviously he was gone. That, that was like the, the, the dying Wenger team Oxford Chamberlain left yeah. uh, for Liverpool actually just um, not long afterwards and I thought wow that's where they that seems to be where they're at now I mean we should say Man City played really well in the game Grealish particularly we've talked about Holland obviously wasn't there Grealish had that moment that a lot of people were talking about afterwards where he tracked Salah back from a corner kick and made a tackle yeah it, which was which was good effort from Grealish although not I didn't think like oh wow someone give this guy like a you know, this guy should get like a some kind of a medal from the king, like for for running back. I mean, I thought it was terrible by Salah. I thought Salah's got to do better there. I mean, Grealish is like it should be easy to beat. Yeah, I don't think Salah's pass would have even got to. He was trying to pass to Jota. There was another City player there. He would have got the ball first. Yeah, but just from uh, from the point of view of Grealish, though, it is when you've got a player 
who's renowned for his attacking game, doing that, busting a gut to get back like that. You can see from his teammates, his teammates are all high-fiving him on the way out, which you don't mm. normally see after just a tackle, you know? Well, it's, it was it's good. The type, it was, of, type of thing that Pep would absolutely adore. Any manager would like that. Like, you're, you're, skillful, you're skillful guys. I mean, he plays for Man City. They're all skillful. But uh, you're a fella who wouldn't have had to do that for Aston Villa too often, I'd say, or certainly wouldn't have been too willing to do it for Aston Villa. So he's, he's learning uh, what Pep Well, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have had to do it for Aston Villa, I suppose. I mean, in this situation, he, yeah, I mean, he did it. And, and for, you know, for a play to him, and it was a big moment because it would have, it could have been two 0 at that point, and that would have put yeah. City. I'm in sorry, trouble. the point about it is, a minute or two later, he's setting, setting up, up the goal, goal at the other so, end. Yeah, he needs to produce that, obviously. Setting up goal for Alvarez, who was brilliant. You know, Haaland wasn't playing. Like, so he's got nine goals in his last three matches. He does, he does, he misses the game. This is probably good news for Liverpool, right? Mm. Alvarez comes in and just tears them apart. Scores the first goal. The second goal is all because of Alvarez. He turns a bad pass to him into a massively destabilizing moment. Like it was, I, I, I'm not sure which city player it was past the ball, just a little pass inside to Alvarez, pass it behind him. Uh, I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't think it was deliberate to do that because you, you seldom see players pass the ball behind yeah. an opponent who has to scramble back. But by doing that, he suddenly. Well, Alvarez then exploited the situation brilliantly by turning. And what Van, Virgil van Dijk, who's kind of close to him, decides to try and do is, I can see Kevin De Bruyne running, but I'm going to play him offside. And what Alvarez does is passes to the far player, who was Mares, I guess, who wasn't offside. And that's how De Bruyne ends up running through. This so familiar situation that we've seen from Liverpool. Oh, look, it's uh, it's the, um, the star, yet one-paced midfielder from the other team is tearing unaccompanied into our box you know this is just like a situation that they, we they had it with Neves um, Neves actually ran through the team too far this is De Bruyne you don't often see De Bruyne scoring in that type of situation but yeah. that's the way it is when you play against Liverpool now I mean they just wrecked them with these like the, the kind of ball that Alvarez played that, those quick diagonals um it's just like the whole defence is opening up like an accordion it's like how is there this much space I've never seen a football pitch look this big you know what I mean? Like, I have never seen so much space on a pitch. So what are the answers for Liverpool, though? How do you actually... There's no real way of solving that with their current personnel, is it? No, well, I mean, there's... there's I really don't think... I really don't think there is. I mean, you saw that the Van Dijk, obviously, was, was poor again. I mean, one of many poor performances. I mean, Klopp said four players maybe were okay. Alisson, Cody Gakpo in possession. So he seems to be saying not out of possession. And Henderson and Fabinho did well to cover gaps. Mm-hmm. I thought he was being generous to those two, to be fair. But that, but the whole defense was was terrible. And I guess the Salah and Jota he didn't like, and Harvey Elliott was, as usual, a non-factor. Um, okay, so there was if you, another thing that happened. We, we've talked about that Dutch camp quite a lot today. But the but Van Dijk in the uh, post-match analysis in Holland was slaughtered by Marco van Basten and Ruud Hullet. So the stuff they were saying about him was really cutting. Now, it's you have to factor in that these are two old guys talking about young players. And obviously, old footballers hate young footballers more than anything in the world. It's like Snow White, you know, the evil queen looks in the mirror, um, sees Virgil van Dijk looking back at him, and he's like, oh, you know, 
sends someone out to, to cut out his heart. So they're saying, well, if you could find one with Van Dyke, because, you know, that's the problem. That, uh, w- w- these these uh, old players, it, 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 it always comes back to, like, character yeah. leadership, you know. The criticism they, they were making of him was, he makes noise, but he doesn't, he doesn't say anything. Uh, he's not clear. He, he, he's not a captain. He doesn't lead the team. Captain should be clear. You go here, you go there. You know, he doesn't do that. And, you know, and Hull was like, yeah, you know, you got all these awards. Why don't you show us? Show us you're that good. Oh, I've got my nice award. Well, why don't you show us? You know, so two old guys reveling in the, the failure or the decline of a, of a young Strong-minded star. old guys there as well, the ex-Dutch. Virgil will be doing this in time. Don't worry. You know, he'll be talking about, the you know, how we used to be, the good old days. But I I mean, they're, they're, they're picking on him because there's a problem, right? Mm. Now, maybe they've misidentified the problem. I, I don't think there's an issue with Virgil van Dijk being, you know, uh, not being able to lead a defence because if you look at what he's been doing with Liverpool, he's ever since he's arrived, he has been leading or, or organising the kind of the highest line or the most active defensive yeah. line in basically the European game. You know, he's and he's the player who leads that. I don't think there's been an issue there because he's not necessarily abusing people. I don't think means he's not doing that well. I think there's obviously a problem with him. Van Basten said it's not to do with that injury. It is to do with it's everything to do with the injury. Like he used to be the best player in the world. I'm doing it again. The best, but the best defender in the world at uh, at defending big spaces, right? Like there was nobody who was able to do this better than him. Now I think he's still a good defender, but he's more like an ordinary defender that doesn't want to have to defend big spaces, mm-hmm. right? You know, he doesn't want to have to play with like the, the entire pitch behind him because he used to be able to race back. And get and then set himself for for some kind of defensive intervention. Now he can't do that. I still wonder how much of a psychological and by psychological I mean the, the psychology of the opposing players who actually attack it now and make it make life uncomfortable for Van Dyke. I know he did defend those spaces very well. It was the, the I remember the one on two, the two on one he defended against. Who was that? It basically it was Tottenham. It was Tottenham. Son and Sissoko. Yeah, somehow managed to snuff that out and just almost freak out both players um, or at least Sissoko in possession who ends up taking a wild shot from memory serves. Like, those kind of things did happen so I can see why players would maybe then be reluctant to go into those spaces but you got he's not going to do that every time and I think there, there did come a time where players just didn't test him enough mm. and whether it's because of the injury or just because other players saw other players having a go they do it now and people aren't afraid. Mitrovic did it in the opening day of the season. He said, yeah. I'll just take this guy on. You know, it's like... Yeah, and, and gives, also, it gets a penalty. Yeah, open. and it's also l- low enough. Osiman didn't... It wasn't Osiman got a penalty open? Sometimes with those attacking players, it's low enough. Tarver, any worse comes to worse, you get tackled, nobody remembers it. So, you know, I, 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 it's it could be that there's a physical decline. The Liverpool doctor, the Liverpool science and doctors and all those guys would have the would have all the data. But yeah. I, definitely people are definitely is. There's not doubt about it. And, and, what it, and, it, and I think it shows in ways like... Um, he can he can run back, but he can't do anything. Like he, he he runs back, but he's not. He can't then make a tackle. He can't risk make. You know what I mean? It's like not not ideal for a centre half. No, no. It's it's like the the ability to run and then quickly change direction, balance, orientation, everything to actually tackle someone or challenge someone. He can't do that. So he's kind of running back and he's like, I'm going to stand in the way here. It's like the Champions League final. Remember the the uh, the goal that that Real Madrid scored. Van Dijk running back Valverde has the ball mm. and he he doesn't really orientate to block this ball he kind of it's it's almost like he hopes to just keep running and somehow cut it out like it's just going to hit him but he doesn't sort of try and shape himself 
to, and it just kind of goes through them, and that's the, you know, that's that's the goal. And you've seen a few situations like that. So I, I think it's basically just the amount of space he can effectively guard has shrunk since right. his since the injury. And in this team with its unchanging tactics, it's just getting it's getting ugly now, you know. And Trent Alexander, I mean Trent, you know, we keep. I mean, we you know what I think should be happening there. Um, but obviously, this has led to a lot of FSG out stuff, and we're going to talk to the, to the guys um, about this shortly. I mean, I wrote about it today. It hasn't gone down too well. I don't no? say so, now my my. Um, it hasn't gone down well. But it's some self-described high expectation fans. So it hasn't gone down well in the sense that responders that people respond to your article feel that you're misrepresenting Liverpool fans that they're saying we're not saying FSG out or they're saying yeah of course FSG out that's that's exactly what should be happening and why are you writing that that's a stupid I'm opinion? like a guy who who um, writes an article saying we sh- we need to respect our cops after after <laughs> some appalling episode of uh, brutality or eviction or something yeah. like this I'm like the police are doing a damn good job <sighs> so I'm like that guy so there are some high expectation fans out there I think it's a lot of these people are angry and I'm not surprised they're going around with expectations that are too high for reality high expectations in my view philosophically are a recipe for unhappiness however uh, some people have a different view they would talk about the tyranny of low expectations mm-hmm. and so on which is the kind of tyranny that which I resent that and police power um, but I, I feel like you know you're talking about a club there that has an anthem you know which they've been singing for half a century or whatever which is all longer than that which is all about um, grace under pressure, uh, solidarity, and hope. And if someone was to come up with that anthem now and, and try and sing it like for the first time, they would be accused of being an FSG apologist, <laughs> right? It would be like, because the FSG out is, is the opposite of all that. It's like, oh, what you guys, it's completely fucked, can't you see? Like, they've been starving, like, almost as though they were doing it deliberately, as opposed to just getting things wrong that they hadn't been getting wrong before. Yeah. Now, when we say FSG, we mean... Jurgen Klopp and his team and the the guys are, they're all they've all been making mistakes in my opinion I don't think it's like the whole approach has radically changed from the one that produced first the you know Suarez team uh, in 2014 and then the Klopp team which has been in my view their best ever team that they've ever had so it seems to me like they have shown they can do this or they they can create the conditions for this to happen so i don't i don't think, i don't think that has changed obviously the thing that's changed is what's happening at other clubs mm-hmm. but this i think is the question for the fsg outside is fsg if not them or what they sort of represent i don't mean them specifically but i mean the idea that the club essentially is is a is, here's a football club it makes this amount we can spend this amount blah 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 if not that, then what? You have two options. One of them is Todd Bowley. <laughs> Todd Bowley, like someone had had said, oh, this is rubbish. Um, had re- uh, who was saying that I was an idiot, which is fine. I res- I respect no, your view. I respect the view. But also had said recently, you know, like today, uh, has there ever been a fall? like this before from the best team in the world in 2020 to where we are now mid-table there's never been a fall you've never seen this before we've never seen this before and I thought well Chelsea literally have were the world champions in February and are below Liverpool you know what I, and they've they've actually spent like 600 million this season you know and they've got a new owner and has this been good you know I mean two managers sacked loads of money spent but 
isn't it going to have to be paid back at some point? Is that is that maybe a, a, a slight concern? There is, is an, there is another ownership model, though, Ken. And they might, these Liverpool supporters might be looking at Manchester United, uh, at Newcastle United, I should say, at the weekend and thinking, yeah, we'll have a bit of that state-owned. Well, that ownership. is the other, that's, that's, the thing, that's the thing. And so that's what, what I think. FHEO should really be Qatar in, although I can't, it's not going to be Qatar if they're Man United. So who's it going to be? Kuwait? You don't hear about Kuwait that much these days. Kuwait used to be everywhere in the news 30 years ago, but they've been keeping quiet. They've been keeping a low profile. Maybe it's time to welcome Kuwait back to the top table of world news. Uh, that, that's what you're saying. It's uh, that, That's essentially it. Now, to me, that that obviously ruins the whole joy of everything. And I mean, I will say, at the, particularly this season, now, a lot of people don't know about this, Owen, but Arsenal Football Club are actually winning the Premier League at the moment. Nobody really knows that this is happening. Well, viewers on Premier Sports in the Republic of Ireland know all about it, Ken. Premier... Another uh, thumping win at the weekend against Leeds. It's a sort of underground sports uh, startup, yeah. Premier League's uh, Premier Sports. Yeah. Uh, a title uh, challenge as closely guarded as the Manhattan Project <laughs> is unfolding at the Emirates Stadium. Yeah. I don't know if you have to give a password at the gate when you arrive now just <laughs> to get in to see this uh, title uh, Premier League If you need that team. password I can give it to you by the way Ken. it's Gunnersaurus all lowercase Gunnersaurus lowercase um, yeah it's uh, Do you want to know how the game went through? Gabriel Jesus back with two goals Yes Looked a bit annoyed to be taken off actually on a hat-trick but probably for the better that he rests himself up after a long time out of the game Yeah and yeah, other than another assist for Trossard, seven Trossard. assists and six Premier League. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, Xhaka, would, uh, a lot cheaper uh, than Anthony. He was a lot cheaper. Yeah. Trossard. So, no, they're, they're playing well. Uh, just, just for the benefit of all the uh, non-Irish-based Arsenal fans, your boys are still playing well. Don't worry, you'll get a chance to see them again very soon. I can only assume the game against Liverpool. I know that's not on Premier League. It'll that, all be on YouTube in a few years. You know, <laughs> yeah. People be like, I don't believe it. Like Jan, Jan Moby scored a, a great goal against Man United. In um, 1985, I think it wasn't. It wasn't televised. The 85, 86 season, there was some kind of a TV dispute. So, like the first ten weeks of the season weren't on TV, and it's 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 like Arsenal now. You know, it's just like people. You know, there's 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 phone. There's some phone footage out there. You know, you hear, you hear people talking about it. You'll hear rumors about this Arsenal team, but apparently it's all going great. That Yami Miamobi goal makes for great after dinner speeches, by the way, because. He actually gave one at an event I was emceeing. Go on. About 15 years ago. Well, no, just you can imagine how he described the goal. It was if, the if, best if, goal if ever. Yeah, yeah. I think, he, I think he picked the ball up somewhere around his own goal line. And he, well, he picked seven he, players. It is on YouTube now. There, someone found a tape of it. That, so. that ruins his after-dinner gigs. Yeah. G- give Moby back his after-dinner speech. Well, it's, it, it is a, a remarkable goal because he gets it. I, I'm pretty sure he's just inside his own half. And then when he does is he takes off on a long run towards the D, more or less. Nobody tries to do it. <laughs> he just runs. He just runs up and then smashes into, into the roof of the net, and no one, everyone goes, "Whoa, that was very good." No one was expecting that. But this is the kind of thing that we've that we're seeing at, at Arsenal at the moment. Uh, it's all going great, and of course they play uh, Liverpool next week. Although Liverpool are playing Chelsea tomorrow night, so um, who knows what the form lines are going to be there? Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We need to get back to facts here because there seems to be a bit of emotion creeping in. What you've just said really isn't true. Well, no. No, what I said. I'm not saying. I don't know what you're saying, to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, I, I, all I can Make do this is you've got, if you've got someone on the street. You did. I've, I've heard. I've, I've heard. Let me right finish. What happened to Chelsea? For fuck's sake! Well, this is going splendidly, everybody. Put the cameras up, you wrong. Let's have a chat. Everybody would think that the appointment of Jose Mourinho would have been a great appointment for Manchester United to win trophies. That they would win trophies under Jose Mourinho. Well, I don't think everybody would have thought that, but I think somebody who didn't know a lot about football would have thought that. What, the Manchester United? Jose Mourinho? Yeah. You cheeky bastard. For fuck's sake. You cheeky bastard. For fuck's sake. You cheeky bastard. For fuck's sake. I'd say there are one or two struggling Premier League managers getting in touch with the Guardian sports desk this week, just pleading with them to. Please keep John Bruin away from the next couple of games at least. How many managers, John, have you accounted for this season? I think it's four. You're up to four. four. <laughs> who, who are I they? Th- I mean, th- Potter. Uh, so, so, so Bruno Large, yeah. uh, we remember him. Uh, Nathan Jones, we all remember him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was there for the Antonio Conte explosion. And uh, I was there for, well... Graham Potter doesn't explode, does he? But uh, I was there for the, the final insults uh, of Graham Potter. Uh, but this week, actually, I'm due to be at Tottenham Brighton. So can you sack a caretaker manager? Could you sack Roberto De Zerbi? Perhaps this De Zerbi will be how We have to be a very bad result for, for Brighton. For well, De Zerbi <laughs> leaves for Chelsea. Oh, of course, yeah. So not so much the sacking. But yeah. Maybe, yeah, well, who knows, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, it seems like maybe Todd Bowley wasn't... 100% telling the truth when he promised this was going to be a long, long-term long commitment. They were going to be patient with uh, with their manager this season, come what may. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he arrives what, pretty much a year ago. Um, our new era of stability since when he signed, I think, 15 first-team players at a total outlay of £570 million. And he's done something Chelsea have never done in their entire history, which is to sack two managers in the same season. So... Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's not an understanding of stability I would have. And yet at the same time, it sort of feels like he was quite patient with Potter, given that it was pretty obvious, I think pretty early, that 
the Potter, and this is not any great slight on Potter, but Potter's personality, his way of playing, his his understated manner, was not a particularly good fit for for the modern Chelsea. Now, everything you hear from a dressing room, well, you hear two different things from a dressing room. So one is that actually the players quite like him, that they sort of had faith for quite a long time. And certainly people like Angola Kante, um had a had a respect for the way that, that he wasn't sort of forcing him back after injury. He was making sure he was fully recovered. And then there's the other side of that, which is the French players calling him Hogwarts and say, and I, I, I really don't know anything about Harry Potter, so I apologise if I've got my Potter mythology wrong, but that the, they were all calling Michaela Budrick uh, Malfoy and saying the reason that Potter doesn't pick him is because of the enmity between Potter and Malfoy. This is the um, worst banter I've ever heard of from coming into <laughs> oh, the it's the, wor- it's the worst. It's, this can't be real. I mean, to be clear, this is not me. These Chelsea it. players should all have their heads stuck down the toilet. <laughs> they, they should, they should be absolutely hammered. This is the worst I've ever heard. Uh, but Ken, you're coming at this from the point of view of, of somebody who comes from the the, the the great British and Irish school of, of banter. We're better with banter than the rest of the world. Mm. You can't expect your foreign lads to Harry Potter and reading Frenchman. Yeah, uh, Monsieur Le Potter. You know, it's it's just not the. This doesn't work, does it? It's no. John, can I ask you, whatever about the players, you were there on Saturday ha, for a, a dismal home defeat against Aston Villa when Potter is banging on afterwards about, well, the XG of John McGinn's strike was pretty low. It's like, yeah, <laughs> but it nestled in the top corner, mate. So uh, not the top corner, actually, the bottom corner. A fine strike by John McGinn. But was there a sense the crowd had turned against him? And were, uh, when you were leaving there, did you think that could be curtains? Yeah, um, at full time, uh, to my right at the Chelsea press box, I noticed a, a, a young girl, uh, presumably a mum and dad were quite close, running down to the front to shout, get out, Potter. <laughs> now, <laughs> what, what age are you? I mean, she, uh, five or six, honestly. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, just Jesus. clad in blue. Presumably guided by her parents in this, but you know, you know um, that up. As, 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 yeah, I thought maybe the worms turned here a little bit, uh, and um, and yeah, the, you mentioned the XG thing. Um, yeah, I was sat in a press conference. I was sat to the side. As soon as he said that, I just typed it straight onto Twitter. I'm like, oh, this is gold. This is gold. And it does, unfortunately, uh, we mentioned it before. Remind of Nathan Jones, uh, who, who used the old XG thing. Now. You know, I know that there, there may be some of you in the studio and uh, Jonathan, uh, maybe exponents, uh, and uh, uh, enjoy this metric. But it's not yet gone mainstream, and it didn't really work as an explanation. No, hang on. Uh, yeah, the X, the actually thing is it's fine as an additional statistic to give you an idea of yeah. the ebb and flow of a game and which team played well, and maybe oh, they're a bit unlucky to lose. Look at that, you know. But when you're talking about a, a, a second goal of a two-nil defeat at home to Aston yeah. Villa and you're talking about the fact that actually by the law of averages that shouldn't have gone in you're clutching at straws absolutely yeah and, and, and do you know what I, I also think that Potter I don't think I don't know I, I don't know if Potter knew that this would be the end I suspect he probably didn't but there was a submissiveness uh, a, a glibness and a lot of the answers that he gave to uh, to the questions he was asked in that press conference which were you know you could hear the crowd sh- uh, change well you know uh, when you lose matches people are going to get angry and it's it's unfortunate that um listen to be a manager to be a chelsea manager specifically you've got to be a bit more of a rock star than uh, than graham potter is um when you consider the managers that 
we've had over the years, and you know, we only they only sat one a season. Uh, it, it was, it was. You know, Carlo Ancelotti would deal with stuff like that so much easier. Jose Mourinho, Tuchel, you know, was brilliant in those situations. And it is part of the job. And I can't believe that, that the due diligence that Todd Bowley et al. did not do this on Graham Potter because that's what you got at Brighton. Those are the answers you got when Brighton lost matches. Um, I, I, There's a story I, I always remember about Graham Potter, and it, it shows you like a sort of... I went to a Brighton game earlier this season when Graham Potter was still their manager. They beat West Ham. Uh, and um, what Brighton were due to play uh, Forest Green uh, in the Carabao Cup the next week. So a young reporter had come along from Gloucestershire and started asking questions about that game. And Graham Potter, a kindly man, really involved this young reporter in, in the occasion, came over as really friendly and... And I just thought, you don't get that from elite managers. Now, within a couple of weeks, Graham Potter is the Chelsea manager. Now, I'm sure there are moments that Carlo Ancelotti and Jose Mourinho have of being an everyman. But Graham Potter is just too much of a normal man to manage Chelsea. And also... Those other managers won matches, and he didn't. Yeah, yeah. okay. I mean, that, that that is that is the main problem. He might have got away with being nice to people if he'd also been able to win matches. Um, but are you saying really? You thought when you saw him being nice in that way that you thought this guy just isn't cut out for the top level? I just thought that's almost what a Brighton manager should be. But I didn't. I just thought that's a. a, a Listen, you've been in the press conference uh, you know, arena, uh, so is Jonathan, so so, so, you, so we all here. It's not that type of place, it's, you know, and he's just so matter of a fact. And the answers, you, listen, you could see any answer that Graham Potter would give to a question, and it's it's really sensible stuff. And I'm not sure being sensible, being nice, is part of the gig. Um it's sad to say that, and you know there, there are managers that are kindly, but I was I was also thinking this: who was the last boring man that was a successful manager in English football? Gareth Southgate at international level, not at club level though. The not last club boring level. manager. I, I know Ken would debate whether Southgate has been successful, but maybe maybe that moment has passed for this. Um, Pe- Pe- uh, Pellegrini at Man City was pretty boring. He won the title. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. But the, uh, yeah, okay. was Rafa, Rafa okay. Benitez? Is Rafa Benitez boring? No, no he, well, Rafa was, was too boring. dark. He was too dark and angry to be boring. Yeah. I mean, pe- you know, people criticise the team sometimes, but Rafa himself was a, was an explosive enough uh, 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 and I, I, I was thinking that for the last sixty years since Bill Shankly or whatever, you need that that person. You need you need that that charisma takes you an awful long way in football and. Yeah. Graham Potter does not possess that. So, Jonathan, who's the nicest manager you've ever uh, encountered, and was he a loser? Um, oh, uh, Stephen Billich was very good to me, uh, and <laughs> he just lost him off the job. But do you agree with, with John's thesis here that like there's a certain um, point of, of seniority above which you have to be a toxic asshole. Uh, I, I fear he might be. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I, I think, I think now that he's gone, I can sort of admit to myself that my feelings on Potter were: I really hope he succeeds, but I honestly don't think he's got a chance. Uh, and I sort of got annoyed on his behalf because of all the questions about, you know, yeah, are you angry enough to be a great manager? 
And, and of course, the response to that should be, what are you talking about? Football's not about anger. It's about tactics and it's about XG and it's about playing in percentages. But, you know, if you say that, you look ridiculous. Yeah, well, you look, it's, think, it's wrong, though. It's, it's only only a part of football is about the things you... It is you, only, you, yeah. A lot, well, a lot but, of it is about anger. Actually, for fans, it's almost mainly about the expression. Of yeah, but, but, but that's sad, right? It shouldn't be. It should be... It should be, it should be an enjoyment. Like, like is, is Eddie Howe? Is Eddie Howe okay, not a not a pleasant enough individual? Currently, oh God, no, 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 no. See him no, as pleasant no. at all. No, no. There's a dark side there, isn't is there? Come on, yeah. the banality. I, I think even with with Pellegrini, I, I know he was phenomenally boring in press conferences, but I would say he was almost aggressively, offensively boring. Yeah, yeah. He knew what he was doing, and the thing I always and he was he was he was very handsome. He could have been. He could have been an actor. He wouldn't say much, but he was a handsome man. Look at that hair. Look at that. Well, he eyes. was a tough man as well. So there's the when mm. he was. Um, I should never have brought him up in this context. We have to go. We have to go back to Howard Wilkinson. He was coaching with a player. No, but even, even and, Wilk, Wilco had steel. Wilco yeah. had steel. Yeah. But Pellegrini is his coach of, of with a plate, sort of face down, sort of this mass riot, and sort of scared the riders away from the press room as tear gas is billowing through the El Monumental. And the thing I always remember about him is um, I, I remember watching a City game you know, back up in Sunderland uh, at my mum's house and my mum paying no attention until suddenly Pellegrini came on television and her going, get that man off the television. He's got evil eyes. <laughs> and so the thing I was like, Pellegrini is evil eyes. And she literally kind of made me turn the TV off because she was so scared of Pellegrini's evil eyes. His eyes are a little... Pale, but I wouldn't have thought necessarily. He, he once, he actually did once give the evil eye to me, uh, Miguel, and Dion uh, when we drove past him on the M6 after a defeat in the Champions League. And we, sort of, um, we were sort of mugging at him, and he just looked at us with this look of disdain. Well, you, and, uh, you stopped at lights, though. You didn't, you didn't just spot him on the motorway, did you? How did you, how did you yeah. notice it was Pellegrini in the next car? Well, come on, that hair. Also, it, uh, it, oh, it's the M6. They got about five miles an hour. Yeah, it was the middle of the night, but we spotted him, and he he just gave us this look of like, "Stop looking you know. at me." How did, did you? Yeah. Write, well, I mean, listen. If he's if he's going to be able to intimidate Argentinian football writers, then he could probably even intimidate that trio of journalists. Correct. Yeah, he, did, he definitely did that. Do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just just um, before, there's a lot of other things to talk about here. But but <laughs> do you feel do you feel that Graham Potter is? Is really damaged by this. I mean, the the experience is obviously a little bit like David Moyes at, at Manchester United. I mean, I'm not saying it's exactly similar, but it has that common thread of here's a you know here's a, a British manager, Team GB manager, who's doing a great job and gets uh, promoted to one of the biggest clubs, and it all just goes horribly wrong, and he gets sacked in. in uh, Moyes actually got sacked around this time of year as well. Um, so where do you think he he goes next from this? Would would you if you were Daniel Levy, would you be on the on the phone? Well, okay, maybe not Daniel Levy. They, they couldn't hire Graham Potter this week. But if you're you know running a Premier League club, are you like this guy can do a really good job, or has this time sort of damaged his reputation to to the point where where that phone is is going to be um, cold for a while? I think it's damaged it to the extent that he's not going to get a big job as his next job, but I don't think it's done sort of fatal damage. I, I think you know his next but one job could easily be, say, Tottenham. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, yeah, the Leicester job would actually be great for him. Probably not right now. It's probably too soon now, I think. You know, losing a job and going straight into another one in the way that, say, Dean Smith did, I think that's just not good mentally. I think you need time to sort of step away, work out, you know, what went wrong, to what extent it was your fault, process that, and then come back recharged. Um, but you know, a job like Leicester where it's a 
there is more money there at Leicester than, than there was at Brighton. Their ceiling is probably a little bit higher. Um, There's the sort of that mid-table, just up a mid-table club. Could be Championship club, club quite soon. Um, I, but, but while you're on this, because we, we are going to talk about Leicester, because they obviously sacked their manager too. His Brent Rodgers wow. gets, gets second billing. But... Um, you know, would you apply the logic that you've just um, outlined to Julian Nagelsmann, the, the gilded youth uh, that you were writing about uh, this weekend in The Guardian? Chelsea and Bayern have both fired their managers, and are they going to completely swap? That's that's the question. Well, it, it, it's it's certainly possible. Um, again, I, if I were Nagelsmann, I'd be waiting for the summer. Just, I mean, especially with Bayern, because you know, Bayern was a job he always wanted, um, and I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, know enough about him, his personality, as to whether he's easily able to deal with that. But I, I can imagine, if at the age of thirty-five you've you've had the job you always wanted and lost it, and to be honest, not done. But I mean, he hasn't done terribly, but he hasn't done as well as as he would have hoped, and as well as Bayern hoped. I mean, he he only lost three or thirty-six games this season, and yet I, I sort of had this sense that. That it had been a disastrous season for Bayern. That, that you know, even losing three games in the league feels like a bad season for them. Dortmund going above them, albeit only temporarily. And I think you saw that first half on Saturday. That that, you know, that Bayern should never be behind that Dortmund. That Dortmund is not a great side. Um, so I get why there was dissatisfaction there. It has to do with you know, the financial structures of German football. That the, the expectations of Bayern are so great. But I mean, if you're an um, Nagelsmann, do you do you say, look, okay, that's it's it's sad for me that I got sacked by Bayern and people are laughing at my skateboard. On the other hand, Todd Bowley <laughs> wants to hire me, and Chelsea is a team full of brilliant players with absolutely no idea what to do with them. And if there was ever a job for a coach who can see through the the matrix of all this nonsense. This is it. Like, I mean, Chelsea have got brilliant players in their team and just uh, no, no one has figured out how to put them together. And surely someone like Nagelsmann, if he's, I mean, I, I saw, for instance, just uh, the other, uh, last week when The Athletic tweeted Rafi Honigstein's piece about it, uh, it, it had a line in the tweet, something like, a brilliant coach who failed to connect with the dressing room. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, that's that's kind of what a, a brilliant coach is supposed to be able to do is connect with the dressing room. But okay, another thing a brilliant coach is supposed to be able to do is figure out how to set the players out in the field and how to get them all relating to each other. And surely Nagelsmann can at least do that. And if he can, then this Chelsea job is a massive opportunity for him. Well, I mean, that's, that's one way of looking at it. Um, and I, I think... Chelsea have said they're not going to appoint somebody until the summer, so that gives Nagelsmann a bit of a chance to reset to, to properly look at the Chelsea project. And I think that's probably a good thing. But Chelsea is a, is a total basket case. I mean, you know, how can you have spent you know five hundred seventy million plus the other fifty million on on uh, uh, Nkunku coming in in the summer? Um, you know, how can you have this squad of thirty four players which will go up to thirty five? You're gonna to have to sell maybe ten players in the summer. It's you know it's chaos, and and Bowley has shown absolutely no signs. He knows how a football club works, how football works. But it's about getting the right blend of players rather than just getting loads of good players. Um, I don't think Nagelsmann's record of dealing with directors is particularly good. I mean, he seems to fall out with Hassan Salihamidzic at Bayern. Although you know, a lot of people do do that. You know, it's sort of paranoia over the last month about the the mole in the dressing room and end up um, sacking the goalkeeping coach, which yeah. Um, Manuel Neuer was was so upset about. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not not convinced that his interpersonal relationships are particularly good with people. Um, well, I mean, maybe the skateboarding does does appeal to to Bowley. I don't know, but um, 
I, I think a Chelsea job's a really, really difficult job. And oh. I, I just I just don't see how that's not going to be chaos for at least another year because they've got to sell so many players. And if they don't, they may face FFP sanctions. Well, I don't know. I mean, where, where's... I, well, I'm surprised that there's not more of a can-do attitude here. I mean, what do you think, Sean? I mean, are, you, you were looking at these Chelsea players at close quarters on, on Saturday. I mean, are they... Um, hardwired losers on eight-year contracts or is there a bit of upside there I, i'm not convinced that all these players are that good uh though um these are these are players of a certain standard that can be improved i mean actually look at the team that beat them aston villa with their coach unai emery a guy again uh, without the rock star personality but a very good manager of a club like Sevilla or villarreal or it turns out aston villa, villa. And he is able to he is able to um, make someone like Ollie Watkins uh, into a, a high level Premier League striker. He's got John McGinn firing again. Um, so you need a, a, a manager that's going to come in and improve players who've fallen way below their mean, their average. Um, it probably could do better than uh, have a defensive trio of Reese James, Cucurella, Kulubali, which was a disaster for Potter. Uh, I think that's taking experimentation a little bit too far. Um, but there's talent there. Listen, there's Enzo Fernandez. Um, it, it remains uh, a miracle that they've spent all that money and they don't have a striker. So th- there is a route to Chelsea being a good team. Obviously, there's good players there. There's a mix of veterans. There's a mix of the, the Todd Bowley all-stars. But Jonathan makes a point there about the FFP thing. Um, how are they going to get around that? Now, there is some suggestion that they're going to claim that because of the takeover having to happen, uh, and I think the phrase is force majeure because of uh, the yeah, Russian the invasion of Ukraine, uh, they're going to try and get around that and say that, oh, we couldn't sell um, Rudiger for the money that we wanted, so he left on a free contract and all this, and try and get around FFP that way. But Todd Bowley seems to be running out of road uh, in a financial aspect, as well as management. Now, this was supposed to be a different Chelsea. Uh, it's beginning to look, look to me as though Roman Abramovich was far more aware of what he was doing and had the... Uh, the better advisors around him and a better structure than the one that's there now. Um, and as you say, uh, and as Jonathan said, someone like Nagelsmann, who's had such a reverse in his career, you want to take that risky job on. So now you look into the managers that have not a lot to lose taking on that job. Who who are they? That's the interesting one. Mm. Um, and you're looking towards coaches maybe from Portugal, maybe further down the German ladder um, I'm sure Rafa Benitez has put a call in uh, yeah it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough call for, for Chelsea to get a new manager but it's a tough call for, for, for managers to accept that because it's a mess well it wouldn't have it wasn't so long ago that the name of Brendan Rodgers wouldn't have sounded ridiculous in that conversation about the next Chelsea manager but uh, that would be a hard sell this morning I'd imagine to I'd, I'd love to see Chelsea it fans oh. I know just to see what but happens I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a fair point you make that yeah. if Tuchel had been sacked at the end of last season which maybe wouldn't have been the daftest thing for new owners to do if you're drawing up a shortlist of six no question Brendan Rodgers is on that list yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, well, what, so what happened then what happened to Rodgers 
well, a lack of investment at Leicester over the summer, and then he seemed to sort of lose interest in the job. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. I think why, he, why do you he, say? Why do you say he seemed to lose interest in the job? Because because that's an impression I get, but it's hard to put my finger on exactly why. Well, I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm going entirely by touchline demeanor, by by press conference answers, but he 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 seemed his his energy for the job seemed to have waned. Now, I, I think I think there's two things going on there. So the first is. I think we've seen that happen with Rodgers before. I think it happened his final season, the final few months at Liverpool. I think you'd even see it, although he kept winning things at Celtic, that his head had been turned. It was sort of as if he'd sort of felt, I'm not really sure I'm I'm getting anything out of this job anymore. Um, So I I think there is a a time thing with Rodgers that sort of three and a half seasons in, you know, he, he needs a new challenge and maybe players tire of him. And then the the lack of investment, uh, I think he may have been thinking. I, I, again, I, I'm speculating. But I think he may have been thinking the tail end of last summer, moving into the autumn. If I get sacked now, there's probably some big jobs coming up, and I can just sort of say, oh well, you know, look, the owners, because their business is in um, uh, airport duty free shops, there they had no money to invest, and so you, yeah, what can I do? Whereas I think what's happened, particularly since the World Cup, when they've been dreadful. Um, and they haven't won a game, I think. Is that right? Since they haven't won a game since the World Cup in the league. Um, and defensively, they've been awful. And I think the real damning thing for Rodgers is that basically for two years, Leicester haven't been able to defend a corner. And, and that is, you know, unless your team are all sort of you know, five foot six weaklings, uh, which Leicester aren't, uh, there's not really an excuse for not being not at least improving at defending corners. That is something that comes down to coaching. They have won two matches. In, Two, uh, I, in the I Premier League, they, they beat Aston Villa and uh, they beat Tottenham four-one uh, on yeah. a, a painful, uh, painful afternoon for the Spurs. Um, but uh, okay, you, you mentioned lack of investments. Um, that is also, uh, John, when I when I look at the reaction to uh, the early game on Saturday, this was Manchester City hammering Liverpool four-one. Mm. Um, that seems to be the main theme of of the reaction from. Uh, Liverpool fans that I can see, uh, this is uh, this is an estate that has been allowed to slide into ruin by absentee landlords uh, who haven't uh, backed haven't backed the generational talent of ma- uh, managerial talent in Jurgen Klopp. Uh, they've just let it all rot, and that's the reason why Liverpool are terrible now. I mean, what I, I'm asking here a general question about your. Um, opinion of the whole FSG out movement because it is a movement. It's a it's a it's a movement now. And what um, what do you think of it? Well, it's it's a, a slightly modern phenomenon. This isn't it, where um, fans turn on the owners rather than manager and, and, and players. Um, even with the Potter situation, there was a bit of vitriol aimed at Todd Bowley and you obviously have the Manchester United thing where things start to go rise. They did this weekend. Let's go for the Glazers again. Now, that appears to be creeping in or has not so much crept in, be part of the makeup at Liverpool. Have Liverpool underinvested? Well, they simply bought, bought a lot of forwards in recent years and not refreshed the midfield. Um, and that midfield creaks a little bit, even though it does include Harvey Elliott. You know, he's a as a young player, um, and it's I suppose these things are by comparison because you compare them to uh, to, to Manchester City, uh, who have a hundred million pound player uh, giving Trent Alexander Arnold a terrible chasing, 
Mm. And um, this is the problem with the way that football finance has gone is that so much money is being spent that fans want more and there comes a breaking point. Um, I think uh, you fast forward 10 years and look forward, look at FSG as owners if they're, and you would think, I think they've done a reasonable job overturning Liverpool. In fact, they've done a really good job overturning Liverpool with the state they inherited it in. But fans always want more. Um, and I would suggest that um, the team that they had for six or seven years was a great Liverpool team, perhaps didn't win as much as it could do. Is that down to investment? Is that down to managers? I'm not sure. Um, but it looked like the end of the Liverpool team, but not a team that's beyond being recovered quite quickly. I, I just It's just the owners take the blame now because fans don't want to turn on Jurgen Klopp uh, yeah. because Klopp, Klopp is considered blameless. Now, May, who makes the choices on who buys midfielders rather than forwards? Well, that is well, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it, Chandler? Because because a lot of the things I see the the that fans are, are sort of unhappy with, uh, or the, the decisions that have been made, and you can have things like, well, you know, why didn't why has no midfielder been bought? Uh, why have we given long contracts to players who are kind of past it? You know, there's like a few different. Why? Why? I mean, as the the match of the day had a graphic showing, basically Liverpool's got have got the worst defense and the best goalkeeper in the world. (laughs) And so they're they're mid table of the Premier League. When you've got the best goalkeeper in the world and the worst defense in the world, (laughs) then then you can you can get up to about tenth in the league. But these are all things that a manager used to be blamed for. You know, if, it, if yeah. it was like, we can't defend, we're giving contracts to the wrong guys, we're reinforcing the wrong areas of the team, we've bought some of the wrong players, you know, Darwin or, or whatever, it used to be, well, the, ma- the manager's not doing a good job. I just wonder what it is, what <laughs> what exactly is a manager doing if not kind of controlling or having major input into all of those kinds of areas? What What is left that you can actually give a manager credit for? I, I am struck by that, that sort of... Um, you know, it's it's like, well, why why is this all FSG's fault? These are these are bad decisions which have been made by people hired by FSG, but that includes Jurgen Klopp. You know, the whole technical mm. staff, all, all all the the technical secretariat, as um, Diego Torres calls it. Like they, you know, they've all they've all got their fingerprints on this, but it, it somehow it just seems to be the. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, the the owners are fine, but it's I just find it interesting the way that that responsibility seems to have shifted away from the people who actually make these decisions on the ground. I'm, I'm the main one of those, obviously, Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's sort of two two things there, which is a year ago, maybe even a year ago, we were starting to sort of ask questions about the age profile of the squad. I think that's actually the key thing. I mean, it's, it's partly to do with you know, over-investing in the forward line at the expense of, of the midfield and, and maybe even the defence. Um, but I, the day that Liverpool beat uh, Manchester United 7-0, uh, I, I wrote a piece of it. The stat that, that struck me was... Uh, of players aged between 24 and 29 at Liverpool, only two had played more than made four, more than five league starts a season. Now that was one a month ago, so, so that that might have changed slightly. But fundamentally, they've got no players at the peak of their career, and so that I think probably does speak of underinvestment over the last two or three years. Now last season, when things were going great and there were two games from a quadruple, nobody would have queried that, and I think generally we've. We've sort of 
been pretty praising of Liverpool's transfer policy. I mean, they haven't really signed a, a, an obvious duffer since Christian Benteke, which is 2015. Darwin. I mean, you can say... Are you, are you sure about that? Well, uh, until this past year. Well, well um, oh, okay. So, do you put... I'm saying from the point of view of, of, of last year when they were that close to the quadruple, you were saying they... Their their transfer policy have been excellent since 2015. You might say Naby Keita hasn't hasn't lived up to. I mean, definitely, uh, you definitely say Naby Keita. I mean, I I I'd wonder how, I, how I, long I you're setting that bar for him think, to be a success. I think there's explanations there with injury and I yeah I, I, you could, if you were if you were writing a piece saying Liverpool's transfer policy has been brilliant, you could you could make the excuse for Naby Keita and nobody really pull you up on it. A year later. You know, there's there's three or four signings. You start thinking, well, oh, not really sure that they've got the, the golden touch anymore. And then the other thing, which I, I guess addresses the wider point of why do we now blame the owners or why do fans now blame the owners? I, I, football, I think, has, has gone in three three phases. So you had the the age of a captain, which lasted from 1863 up to, let's say, the Second World War, where the, the most important person, and obviously it's different clubs, you know, had slightly different models, and Herbert Chapman would be an exception to this. But where the captain was the person who decided how the team played, and he was the person who had the responsibility. Littlepool. I'm sorry. Littlepool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then from from the Second World War through to uh, let's say 2000 ish, you had the era of the manager, the, you know, the great charismatic managers with the streak of evil that we were talking about before. You know, the your Shankleys, your your Paisleys, your Busbys, your Cloughs, your Reeves, your Fergusons. And then sort of post-2000, we're probably in the era of the chief executive, where the chief executive is the one who buys the or appoints the people who buys the players who wouldn't necessarily be the manager. And now I would say at the top level is, is almost never the manager, although you would hope the manager would consult. I would suggest that Chelsea, you know, Tuchel was supposed to consult. I, I doubt Potter's done much consulting. I mean, I certainly don't think that in the post of getting sacked, he was suggesting they should be spending twenty million pounds on this fifteen-year-old lad from Ecuador, um, and so I think in that sense, it it actually makes some kind of sense to be blaming the you know, the owners in in the the, you know, the 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 people making the transfer decisions are the the faceless suits or the you know, the people behind the scenes rather than the the the, the bloke in the big coat on the. On are, the we, are we are we suggesting John, it was John Henry that wanted Darwin Nunez and not Jurgen Klopp? Well, I mean, that, that that seems to be a controversial issue and, and maybe that is why, where the model has, has broken down, that, that Klopp is trying to reassert the era of the manager at the expense of a chief executive. Well, so, I mean, I was... it's not a straightforward issue, but I do think football has gone in those three basic phases. Yeah, and to back that up, to bring it back to Graham Potter, you know, you're in this era of um, football being about individuals, both as players and managers, and if you have developed the the rock star persona of a Jurgen Klopp, if you've developed this cult of your own personality, you can get people to blame your bosses for the mistakes that you make. And that's a mistake that maybe Graham Potter made. Yeah. That he didn't develop that enough of his personality for people to say, hang on, he's beat out a bad hand here by Todd Bowley. And eventually the blame turns on him. Jurgen Klopp uh, is a very good at getting into a club and making himself part of the fabric, making mm. um, fans believe he's a scouser or he's from Dortmund or wherever. You know, Graham Potter didn't do that. And that's part of being a manager as well. Yeah, fair enough. John, Jonathan, excellent stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, thank you. We're going to talk Ireland 
now uh, delighted to say Ken Early from the Second Captain's Podcast, podcast uh, joins us. Just have a bit of balance, Ken. Mark, Mark O'Neill's record. Mark, Mark O'Neill's record. Hang on a minute. Did he get to the Euros? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Martin O'Neill's record in the last year. He got to the Euros. He got to he got to Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. He got to the Euros. Yes. Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. Do you do you um, think you're going to get to the Euros with Stephen Kenny, Ken? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Well, I mean, he'd have to be in charge for the for the next Euros. I mean, we did have a playoff to get to the Euros thanks to finishing bottom of the Nations League under Martin O'Neill. You know, literally, we finished bottom of the group. <laughs> Me and Michael, we're just sitting back and really enjoying this. I know, it's like, yeah. I can't listen, I can't listen to, to this rubbish talked about. Uh, I just can't, can't listen to this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, Ken, thank you very much for coming on and, and standing up to grumpy chops in the corner. It's been much appreciated. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to everyone, especially Chris. <laughs> uh, a lot of football, a lot of Premier League football on over the next few nights, starting with Everton versus Spurs this evening. Everton start the night in, in the relegation This is how congested the Premier League, the relegation zone is. Mm. Uh, they start the night in the relegation zone, but a win would take them from 18th up to 13th <laughs> because it's so tight there, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you could see them beating Spurs potentially. At home, at Goodison, raucous Goodison crowd. Well, yeah, I mean Spurs have Spurs are capable of losing that. There's no that's probably the best that, way they've of got that in their locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt, but um, I still don't. Yeah, although you know, yeah, I mean they're probably going to win tonight, Everton, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, it's I'm probably going to be yeah, Everton. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who gets close to that sort of third, fourth, uh, fifth zone just starts <laughs> to kind of melt away and. Um, yeah, so Everton, Leicester and Southampton are both three. It is looking pretty bad for Southampton now. Although they are, you know, because they, they lost to West Ham. You don't want to be losing. Yeah. Relegation six pointers. You can't really lose that. So uh, if they'd won that, uh, then it would be West Ham who would be bottom of the league. Uh, instead of that, West Ham are 14th and Southampton are nailed to the bottom. Ooh, thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to see you on the World Service for ad-free pods right through the week. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.